Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. Sunday in the book of Mark. I can't believe it. We've done 58 weeks, 58 sermons in the book of Mark. Thank you for being a church that is interested in God's word and has allowed me to slowly take you through the book. We've done Hebrews. We've done Philippians. We've done a number of books, uh, a few in the Old Testament. Um, Habakkuk. Remember we did Habakkuk in the Old Testament. We've done Jonah. And we just finished up with the book of Mark. We are at the very last chapter. And you're saying, wait a second, we skipped some. And we didn't skip any. We just moved ahead during Easter and got the ones that we uh, uh, have not talked about, at least from last week. So uh, at Easter time, we took a look at... Yes, sir? I forgot my Bible up here. Oh. <laughs> it's all right. Sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, at Easter, we took a look at Mark chapter 15, and uh, we looked at verses 16 through the end of, uh, well, basically through chapter 16, verse 8. So we took a look at those that chapter and a half, basically, uh, during Easter time, and then we jumped back, and now we're finishing up with Mark chapter 16, and we are going to look at verses 9 through 20. And so if you want to get your Bible and take a look at Mark chapter 9 through 20, we will read this text together and then we will talk about it. Now, in your Bible, it probably says that these verses are not in the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have them as well. Most people, we're going to get into this a bit, but most people think Mark, the Apostle Mark, the disciple Mark, ended his actual writing in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Luke, I'm looking at Luke, Mark chapter 16, verse 8. Most people believe that that is how he ended his book. Mark 16, verse 8. And we read this at the resurrection on Easter. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Boom. End of Mark. Well, people thought that was not the greatest ending, so there was an addition to the book of Mark, and that is what is in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. That is an addition to the book of Mark, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's read our text. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, this is verse 9, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him. Well, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. 
Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, now I've got a, a red letter Bible here, and so the next few verses are red letter. He said to them, Jesus said to them, go into the, all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Hey, that sounds like some other part in Matthew, the end. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, now this is an interesting part to the ending. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Oh, a little strange. In verse 19, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. That is the reading of God's Word. And so if you have your bulletin, take it and take a peek at the back side there. And we're going to answer a few of the whys right at the get-go. It says on the back side of your bulletin, the end of Mark's Gospel is very sudden. The end of Mark's Gospel, and I read it, verse 8 of chapter 16. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the ending of Mark's Gospel. The ending of Mark's gospel is very sudden. Why? Well, I'm going to give you a few reasons. And you can kind of pick and choose as you feel led. The text ends dramatically because the resurrection is dramatic. It's one person's argument. Why Mark ends so dramatically and so quickly. Another view, the women are gripped by the resurrection and they are speechless and therefore Mark just doesn't record much of what they say immediately after the resurrection. Another possibility, the other Gospels include po uh, more post-resurrection events so Mark really doesn't feel like he needs to. Another idea, the resurrection proves Mark's intro, and if you remember Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says that he is beginning to tell the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The resurrection proves Mark's introduction, and so there's no need to elaborate. That's another idea. And the fifth reason is probably the ones that most people uh, say probably is, is why Mark ends this so sudden, and that is that that's just the way Mark writes. Mark tells stories briefly, to the point, and immediately goes on to something else, and the people were bewildered, and all of those kinds of things. And so his ending is brief and to the point. So on the back of your bulletin there, the end of Mark's gospel is very sudden. Why? Those are some possibilities. The next sentence, because of this sudden ending, there is an addition. And I said, see the brackets in your Bible. Probably your Bible has brackets. 
If you're looking at a King James Version, it probably does not have brackets, and there's a reason why. And I can talk to you after if you're interested in that. Uh, this ending, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, this ending does not appear, as it says, in earlier manuscripts, so it was probably added later by an unknown author. But if you think about what we read, it's very similar to other endings in Matthew, Luke, and John. And also very similar to some of the stories in the book of Acts, especially when Paul is bit by a snake and there's no problem. That's in Acts uh, chapter... Oh, I lost... I, I don't know... Oh, chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, 3 through 6. So probably what happened was somebody later in time seen Matthew, Luke, and John took, and the book of Acts, some of those writings of those books and included that in paragraph form, a few paragraphs, and tagged it on to the end of Mark. Now, here's the bottom line question I had, and probably you have too. Is the ending of Mark part of God's inspired word? I mean, if it was added later, is the ending of Mark part of God's inspired word? And I'm not smart enough to just say, yes. So I kind of looked up a number of commentaries, and many agree that they feel that the ending of Mark is part of God's inspired word for a variety of reasons that I'm not going to go into uh, today. But you can on your own. All you got to do is Google is the ending of Mark part of God's inspired word? And you can get a whole bunch of different uh, ideas there. I think the, the most important thing for us is, if this is a part of God's inspired word, which I'm going to go with it is, what can we learn from these additional verses? All right, That's, that's what, what, what I want us to just talk about uh, briefly as we take a look at the end of uh, mark here. What can we learn from these additional verses? Well, if you're taking notes, uh, you're going to see two main sections here. He appears and then he disappears. He appears and then he leaves. And so the three R's that I'm going to give you in point one, two, and three uh, were better uh, spoken in my commentaries than I could speak on my own. So I took them from my commentaries uh, on the book of Mark, and that commentary was by a gentleman named David McKenna. And so I just liked the way he spoke our points number one, our points number two, and our points number three. And so then we'll talk about this. So Jesus appears, and that's what it says in verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared. And the first person he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. And if you're taking notes, he appeared to Mary Magdalene to reward her faithfulness. To reward her faithfulness. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. 
And then it says, she went and told the others, and they said, we don't believe you. But he first appeared to Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20 gives us much more details about Jesus meeting Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. Many believe Mary was first to see Jesus after the resurrection because she was an incredibly faithful follower after he drove out those seven demons. It's reported that he uh, drove out those seven demons in Luke chapter 8, but it was done actually before Luke chapter 8. So probably very beginning of Jesus' ministry, along with uh, turning the water into wine, he also drove out uh, Mary Magdalene's seven demons. Mary Magdalene was an important part of Jesus' early followers, and it was there through his entire ministry, was uh, there during his death, was even on her way to uh, perform the completion of the burial process. That's what happened on Easter morning. That's why she's on her, on her way there. And then throughout the resurrection. Jesus kind of gave his purpose in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said, hey, I came to heal the sick. That's why I came. If you're well, you don't need me. But I came to heal the sick, and Mary Magdalene was sick, and she was healed and became a constant companion of Jesus. So Jesus appears, first of all, to Mary Magdalene, possibly to reward her faithfulness. And then it says, he appeared to two of them. Verse 12, after Jesus appeared in a different form, that's different from John chapter 20, Uh, It just says that he kind of disguised himself. Well, maybe it's similar. After Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So Jesus appeared to two of them to restore their confidence. To restore their confidence. Jesus... uh, or actually, John records this story in John chapter 20. You're familiar with that. On the road to Emmaus. And that is this uh, story as well, although it's not said on the road to Emmaus here. Two followers left Jerusalem after the crucifixion and were heading back to their hometown of Emmaus. Really, the idea of signifying a lost dream. They were upset. They were saddened. They were mourning. They were in despair on their way back to Emmaus, Luke says they were downcast. You know, they had spent time with Jesus and now all of a sudden he was dead. Remember what the fishermen did? After Jesus died, they said, hey, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? Oh, what do we know how to do? Well, we know how to fish. Well, let's go back and fish. I mean, they kind of, there, there was that despair. Jesus was gone. And then in John chapter 20, Uh, It says that Jesus then has to explain to them on the road to Emmaus. And uh, he explains all from the Old Testament. And it says in John chapter 20, all the way back to Moses, why Jesus had to suffer and die. And then in John chapter 20, during communion, during the communion uh, meal with these and the two uh, gentlemen to the road to Emmaus as well as the others, Jesus reveals himself. And so these guys come back and it says in verse 13, they returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So you got a woman, they don't believe her. 
Then they got a couple of followers of Jesus, and they don't believe them. And then verse 14 uh, is our third point. To the eleven, he appeared to renew their commission. To renew their commission. And verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. And I like, I like this. Hey, he rebukes them. He says, hey man, I sent a woman. You didn't believe her. I sent uh, you know, two guys that I appeared to on the road to Emmaus. You didn't believe them. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. <coughs> but here, Jesus appears to them and after he rebukes them, he renews their commission. And their commission is the Great Commission. And that's found in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the good news, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The author of the last part of Mark probably saw... Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and wrote a similar conclusion. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so Jesus appears to the eleven to renew their commission. To renew their commission. And their commission is the Great Commission. The Great Commission to go into all the world. Now, these next few verses are kind of weird, aren't they? All right, you hear about churches down south that uh, have snakes in boxes and they pick them up and they do weird stuff with them and they get bit and then they go to the hospital and sometimes die. All right, uh, That is just kind of weird stuff they do down there. Uh, you've heard of... Uh, of um, you know, driving out demons, speaking in tongues, those kinds of things. Uh, but this whole idea, they will pick up snakes with their hands. Now there is, you know, like I said in Acts chapter 28, Paul gets bit by a snake. It's, in fact, it's a viper and uh, nothing happens to him. The Lord protects him. So there is uh, some thought to that. But then this whole idea of drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. And then we've heard of this, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. But there's some kind of weird things going on there in that chapter. These are questions about the spiritual signs that accompany those who go. But I think the bigger picture, rather than decipher all of those different things and think, wow, that's weird, and are they true, and let's go try it. Uh, the bigger picture, I think, is that the Resurrection Commission is to, and it's our next point, to go with power. To go with power. I love that verse where Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven in the book of Acts, and he says, hey, they say, well, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? He says, well, this, that's really not for you to know. You don't need to worry about the times and seasons. I've got that under control. But, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then, when you receive that power, you are to go into all the world and tell them about Jesus. <coughs> so the idea is, at the Great Commission, he is telling them to go and to go with power. 
I read an article this past week called The Seven Deadly Statements Churches Make. The Seven Deadly Statements Churches Make. And I'm going to give you the first two. The first deadly statements that some churches make is, I like our church just the way it is. All right? Maybe you've said that. I, I probably have said that. I like the church just the way it is. Well, it went on to say that this statement almost always portrays a certainty that there is no Great Commission heartbeat. If you're saying to yourself, I like our church just the way it is. I like the size of our church. I like the way we do things here. I like it just the way it is. Well, possibly you don't have much of a Great Commission heartbeat. And I thought that was interesting. I want us to be sure that we have a Great Commission heartbeat. And when you start going into all the world and bringing people to church, guess what? They might look different than you. They might sing different than you. They might act different than you. So you've got to be careful there. <coughs> when you say, I like church, just the way it is, I don't want it to change. Well... That is a deadly statement. The other one is this. People know where our church is if they want to come. All right? That's a deadly statement. People know where our church is if they want to come. The Great Commission does not say sit and wait for people to show up. The Great Commission says what? Go! Go! The Great Commission says, go! And I believe the next natural step for our church is to move from being the church gathered. You know what? We, we do real well. We do, we do pretty well as a church gathered. We sing good. We read Scripture together. We study it together. We come to Bible studies. We take care of our children, youth, and adults. We do good Together, we do, we do good church together. We've got a beautiful building, beautiful stained glass. We've got a new addition. Those are all wonderful things. Those are for us as we gather. I think the next natural step, and what I've really been praying for and, 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 and searching my own heart and, and wanting to encourage you, is that we've got to be ready for, I think, the next step. And the next step for our church is... Not gathered, we do that well. The next step for our church is the church scattered. When we come here, we do good. But we need to go out there because that's where the Great Commission says we are to go. We are not to sit here and wait for them to come. We are to go. The church gathered, really, and, and, and so many of you have put so much time, effort, money, into this building, into that building, and it's wonderful, and you've used your hands and your pocketbook to make that happen. But the next step doesn't deal with your hands and your pocketbook. The next step of the church scattered deals with your heart. And I think that's important, and I think that's the next step for us as a church, and I'm going to be pushing that, because I think, like I said, we do really well gathered, but we need to do more the idea is scattered.
And one of the ways you can determine a, how well a church scattered is doing is how many people you personally have brought to this church. I'm not so sure that there is one person in... Well, maybe Edgar might be the only person that brought Kyle to church in this fellowship. I'm... I'm and maybe you're starting to look down now. All right. Uh, I don't want you to look down. I want you to look up because I think that that's the next great step for our church is to be a church scattered and to go. And some important thoughts. If we really believe the gospel is good news, we'll want to tell somebody about it. All of us have friends and loved ones who need Jesus. Write their name down and put it on your refrigerator. And every time you go to your refrigerator, begin to pray for that person. <coughs> Gracie, will you bring me my coffee, pretty please? Thank you. Say hi to everybody. No. no. <laughs> will? Cheers. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. That's another point. Our job is to plant a seed. Jesus brings the growth. And we say it every single week on that uh, the screen at the very end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The thing that we've got to remember is the Lord is at the end of that. All of us are at the beginning of that. And you'll see it as we read it again. <coughs> We are to help a person move one step closer in the process of coming to Christ. All right, let's finish up. And hey, by the way, this sermon is long because Mike took up 15 minutes of my sermon at the beginning of his announcements. (laughs) That did take a while too, didn't it? All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being uh, patient with me. He appears, and then the next point, he leaves. He leaves. And a few points here that I want to draw to your attention from our text. And these are verses 19 and 20. His ascension confirms Mark's announcement. Mark's announcement was, hey, I'm going to start sharing with you the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The ascension confirms Mark's announcement. Mark, Mark's gospel ends with the ascension affirming his beginning announcement that he wanted to start telling you about, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what it says in verse 19. And the Lord Jesus had spoken to them. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Mark's gospel ends with the ascension affirming his announcement of going into all the world and sharing that good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His ascension is the final evidence. It's the final evidence. And it's God's redemptive mission is complete. But I think the neat thing about this is, as Mark says, hey, the beginning is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know what, uh, folks? We are a part of the beginning. We are a part. And so uh, number five is this. Our redemption confirms Jesus' resurrection. Our redemption confirms Jesus' resurrection. And that's what it says in verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. 
And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by the signs that accompanied it. We became believers because we believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. <clears throat> Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And our redemption is confirmed by changed lives. You want to see a Christian? You've got to look at their lives. Are they different? The Bible says that we become new creations. There needs to be a difference between before and after you were saved. And no greater testimony of the living and reigning Christ can be presented than to have each generation of Christians show evidence of Christ by changed lives. Now, I want to say that again because I think it's really important. No greater testimony of the living and reigning Christ can be presented than to have each generation of Christians show evidence of Christ by changed lives. All of Mark is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. But guess what? The story goes on. The story goes on because we are a part of the story. We are a part of the story. At the bottom of your bulletin, there's a challenge. And uh, <clears throat> I read, you know, remember I told you I kind of read ahead uh, in the, the Daily Bread? Well, I read way ahead. Way, way ahead, August 31st. All right, I'm way ahead. Shortly after Dwight Moody came to faith in Christ, the evangelist resolved not to let a day pass without sharing good news, God's good news, with at least one person. On busy days, he'd sometimes forget his resolution until late. One night he was in bed before he remembered. As he stepped outside, he thought, no one will be out in this pouring rain. Just then he saw a man walking down the street. Moody rushed over and asked to, uh, to ask the man walking down the street if he would stand under his umbrella to avoid the rain. <clears throat> when granted permission, Moody asked, Have you any shelter in the time of storm? And the man said, No. And Moody says, Could I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> I love that. And so that's the challenge at the bottom of your bulletin. Don't let a day go by. And, and maybe you're just thinking about this and maybe you're going to say, I'm not going to let a week go by. Or maybe you're going to say, hey, I'm not going to let a month go by. Maybe you're going to say, I, I'm not going to let a day go by without sharing God's good news with at least one person. That's the Great Commission at work. Let's say a prayer together. Lord, we thank you for the book of Mark. Wow started the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then all the way through, Mark proves that and ends with the ascension, confirming that announcement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Lord, thank you for the privilege, the honor, the responsibility, the joy of studying your word together. We pray that these messages would ring true in our lives as we go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to close us, uh, our service with a song, and I think it's an apropos song. It's entitled, Revive Us Again. Give us a heart again for worship. Give us a heart again for evangelism. Give us a heart again for the gospel message. Let's stand together as we sing. <laughs> We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee, O God, for Thy Spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we are the church, and we are the church gathered, and we are also the church scattered. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.